Uh, we're going to pass the bucket around. Lisa, our good-looking administrative manager, will be passing the bucket around. And, and I should mention that we've had a very generous donation of $200 uh, from somebody who is very kind to SACPA, obviously. That doesn't mean you have to do it, but uh, I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> I'd just like to mention uh, we have two sessions coming up like, later this week. They're both on the same topic about uh, the plight of people from Sudan who's been displaced by a civil war and, and is now coming back to resettle the land. And, of course, there's no uh, rain, so which means there's no food either, and they're still coming back to resettle. So... Somebody from Calgary is coming down who's, who's been recently been back to Sudan. Justin O'Dare, he's coming to speak. 4.30 to 6 o'clock at the University of Sakpan campus tomorrow on Wednesday afternoon. And then at the regular session Thursday at noon at the Country Kitchen Catering. I should always remind you too, uh, these uh, sessions can all be listened to on our website we record uh, every session SACPA puts on. So if you have anyone who is interested in uh, listening to this presentation tonight, they can do so via our website. I'd like to invite Joe back up. And uh, questions at the microphone at the back, please. I'd like you to state your name before you ask a question, please. Uh, Terry Shellington. Joe, I'll do what John Boris would have done if he was here, which is probably get up, hurry up, and ask the first question so that uh, aggravate people with some more questions. Um, uh, I wonder uh, what's in it for the Conservative Party, uh, and uh, that's where my mind goes in this. So this doesn't seem to be good for consumers. Uh, it's good. It would appear to be good for a couple of corporations. Would it be a fair guess that that for Conservatives this would? Um, uh, uh, when big business makes money, uh, sometimes some of that dribbles into party coffers. Uh, what, would, what would the people around the cabinet table see as uh, the real driving force in, um, in pushing this ahead? I, I couldn't even begin to answer that. You'd have to sit in their cabinet and listen to them. But I will tell you there's something fishy here, as you can imagine. Um, and I, I'll just give you some of the things I've found out. When we deregulated... Because one of the things I could never understand from an engineering point of view, why would we build a line in the west corridor, not the east corridor? I mean, from an engineering perspective, it was just every engineer on both sides of the argument, those four more lines, those four less lines. And nothing made sense until you look into the creation of Altalink. Now, the first lawyers I talked to said that Altalink was purchased for a nickel on the dollar. Not true. All you have to do is go to Transalta's balance sheets back in 2000, 2001, and the transmission system that Altalink, uh, Transalta was selling was worth $600 million. Now, assets for a utility are pretty basic stuff. They don't really multiply in value any more than they lose value. They're highly leveraged. It just goes hand-in-hand in hand with the industry. Now, the bid came in at $800 million. That should have set off alarm bells and an investigation. 
nobody in his right mind would bid $800 million for a $600 million asset, not with lawyers and accountants doing the, the, foot, the paperwork. It should have signaled something's wrong with the system, yet nobody raised it. Well, some people raised eyebrows in silence. What was the first line proposed? A $200 million line for Altalink. And ASO had a financial interest. Now, that's a fact. So you take it and infer from there. But the math, to me, told me something was fishy here. But that purchase of that asset, the creation of Altalink, should have been investigated. By the way, SNC-Lavalin is the one that made the purchase. They own Altalink. And if Altalink builds a line, guess who builds it? SNC-Lavalin. So they get to build the line, we pay for it, and they get to own the line. i got a real problem with what's going on here. Go ahead. Uh, you've spoken on the increase in uh, megawatt hours that you're going to produce. I'm much more interested in how is that electricity going to be produced. And as you're aware, there's going to be a post-Kyoto Kyoto meeting in December, which all the heads of government are going to. We've already, some of us, fought against uh, nuclear and Certainly your argument supports our contention, although our contention is more about the, the risks related to that, surrounding that. But how do you think if uh, Mr. Harper is somehow forced to make some commitment on reduction on greenhouse gas emissions, because I assume that you're expecting that most of that power is coming from, uh, from uh, the, the tar sands uh, with coal thrown in as well, uh, how do you think uh, the problems are going to react if something is imposed from a federal level in terms of restricting emissions? You're going to see the separation party rise up. I mean, that's, we know how Albertans are going to react. Um, so I am interested in what's going to happen, and I know you can bet on the federal level there's great discussion here, and it's going to impact Alberta. But I will go back um, to my previous um, statement. We need an actual vision to create that plan to where we want to go and to where we want to be. Um, until we do that, we're out here maneuvering. You know, someone mentioned to me about export during the break. I'm not against export. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It, it's, it is part of the nature of having a grid, but it's what we're doing sort of this, we're, we're lost on our vision and our plan of, of where we want to go with all this. I'm going to give, give you something that should shock you. The UN did a study on geothermal technologies, and, and what they were looking at is what we can do with the, with the production or the creation of geothermal technologies for the production of electricity. Now, Alberta, all of the eastern side of the Rockies is actually quite a very positive area for geothermal. Ask any oil or gas driller. They said that the biggest inhibitor to the development of the technology is lack of qualified drillers. Now, that, should, that caused me to take a, take a real wide-eyed look. It's like, wait a minute. Well, that's given to us on a silver spoon in Alberta because we have this boom-bust cycle with oil and gas. What better technology should we should be investing in is geothermal technology for even export, if we can develop the technology, because we have the qualified drillers. 
that's just my opinion, but I would include that in my vision of these are the things we should be thinking about versus some of the craziness of really we got three companies that are going to really receive the benefit. And I tell you what's offensive. I'm not a big fan of carbon capture. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of a carbon tax. But I will tell you, when I saw $779 million given the key pills just, what, three days ago, four days ago, I almost fell out of my chair. We just subsidized the last generator they put online. Along with these transmission lines, boy, talk about a, one company feeding at the, at the public trough. What are we doing? That's a lot of money that could benefit a society, our society, who's looking at budget deficits and cutbacks. I just think this is totally irresponsible. It's my opinion now. But I think it's shared by many. Joe, my name is Tom Kane, and I was um, intrigued and, and delighted by the honesty of your presentation. It's, uh, we need that kind of uh, factual input into our thinking. So thank you for that. Um, this morning I met with uh, MLA Greg Wittick for Lethbridge West, and we were talking about a number of things, and he was excited about uh, a number of renewable energy things that we were talking about. But it's intriguing when he talked about, uh, he made his own little diagram of a grid, and it was on related to wind energy. And he said he, he had got the information, and don't know just who he got it from, but it was connected to airports in, in and around southern Alberta and Manitoba and so on. They, they looked at where the wind blows and where it doesn't blow. And that's important. The one place that keeps statistics on where the wind blows and doesn't is airports. Airports have to know where the wind is going. So they had, uh, I wish I had his diagram in front of me, but it was uh, Manitoba and, uh, and Alberta and Montana and I think North Dakota. So those would be the, you know, the four related uh, provinces and states. And that's all on the eastern side. So if, it, if Bill 50 is really to help with wind power and not just with the export, and I don't want to pay for that as an Albertan. I don't want to pay for export. I was talking to Clint in the coffee break, and he was saying, you know, I'm all for export. Well, I have nothing against export, but I don't want to pay for it as an Albertan. I think the companies that are going to benefit should pay for it, and their taxpayer and their and their shareholders. So, I guess my question is this: um, If we're really thinking of where to run a transmission line, how big would it have to be if it was going to capitalize on wind power? And most likely, it seems from what you said, we should be down the east side of the province, or down in the southeast corner of the province, and hooking up towards. Manitoba and North Dakota and it's got nothing to do with going west to California. Actually, we don't even need an export line in this province. Canada has export lines all over the country. So to actually export power, probably the smartest thing for energy independence and for reliability is to upgrade our grid east to west. So Canada has two rolling peak hours rather than ten. And then we get this interconnection from, from B.C. all the way to the Maritimes. Because if you can do it from, from Fort McMurray all the way down to California. Now, the big key is the cost and the technologies. And I just want to point this out. Technologies have advanced so, so far. This is a real good thing. So what size lines do we really need? And, and the answer is, in the new technologies, 
I think we actually got an advantage here, and it took a heck of a fight to get this government and to get ASO to, to even look at the new technology. So we, we got them that far. We're just going the wrong direction. We're going north to south rather than east to west. We can still export through Cranbrook. We can uh, basically reinforce the tie line between Alberta and Saskatchewan because there's a giant export line leaving Manitoba. And there's no problem hitting that if we do something using high-voltage DC. Now, the, the beauty of high-voltage DC is one high-voltage DC line can be modified to have all the capacity of all our 240 lines about from north to south all in one line. They actually have that technology. You only have to change out the AC-DC converters at each end. They're expensive, though. The actual line costs half as much as an AC line. This is right out of their own document. <laughs> so when ASO tells you we can't bury this, it's like, I'm sorry. It's cheaper to bury this stuff. And we can actually bury it right underground. A lot different than AC power. See, had this technology existed 100 years ago, we would have never had the AC power that we use today. All your appliances at home use DC power. All our, but we have to transmit an AC power because high voltage DC did not exist 100 years ago. Now, I'm not proposing we change the whole grid over to DC, but I can tell you in the grand scheme of things, it should be a vision in the long run because really for a DC line, it's a far less impact on the public. Now, here's the big thing. I'm a big believer in utility corridors. I think that's a smart idea. And we can create utility corridors without taking anyone's land. This province is set up for it right now. We have a grid system of roads. And our utility corridors can be under ro one road system or one pole line down a road system. Far, you don't have to put these big honking towers. You can just put poles, steel poles. Yeah, they cost a little bit more but not outrageous. And when you're dealing with an issue where the line cost is half the price of an AC line and one DC line right now, and the technology is advancing rapidly, just like computers, very rapidly, um, the current level of technology is, and I, I had this nice chat with ASO engineers on this, one DC line can handle all the capacity of 11, 11 240 kV lines. Absolutely amazing. So what we can really do, if we really want to be smart, we should have a long-term plan how we want to build the grid. This metal line, one, it should, it should not be a private company. If it's going to be a private company, they should be out there on Highway Number 4 paying the province rent to go down the corridor. Now, this, the beauty of DC power, I think, I'm not saying I would agree with this. I would rather have conduit so you can pull lines and, uh, in and pull lines out as needed particularly if there's a defect. Having conduit buried underground is a lot easier to work with from a maintenance point of view. But DC power has almost zero uh, EMF, electromagnetic fields. So the health concerns dissipate. It has bigger throughput, much bigger throughput than AC power any day, much smaller environmental footprint. And we're looking at a situation here. This is what boggles the mind where the public can have what they need, industry can have what they need. We might have to spend a little bit more, but a whole lot less than what they're talking about to do things right. But industry should share in that cost if they're going to be exporting because that's the rules we set up. We take care of our needs, and anything above that that is strictly profit for them 
they're supposed to take on those costs. My name is Ken Eichel, Mr. England. I want to thank you very much for your presentation. I was sat in at your last one when you're here, and it's uh, very interesting. But what I'd like to know, uh, you were talking about uh, if they build a new uh, plant uh, that uh, electricity would drop, but also um, there's a surplus of electricity. Um, I looked at the charts today on, um, on wind power, and out of the out of the wind farms, uh, seven eight wind farms, uh, there was only one producing, and that was Tabor, and they put out one megawatt. And um, they're uh, talking about they want to they want to put another fifteen hundred or so megawatts of wind power in. And if they got a surplus of power, why do they need all why do they need all the wind power? Good question. Because I can tell you this, NMAX, some of you may know that NMAX is proposing and putting a generator right in uh, Calgary. Uh, go to the Standard & Poor's and see just what happened to NMAX's credit rating. NMAX went out and took about a $2.5 billion loan to build this generator. This is an oversaturated market. The S&P downgraded their credit rating to negative. Think about that. See, and I, I, he, he, this is a, a bigger problem. We were dealing with wind power on your question. But in this system that we've created, we have two companies, one NMAX, the other EPCOR. They're not crown corporations, they're not private corporations, they're not public corporations. What are they? They are whatever they say they are, given the argument. They make it up as they go. So they don't have to disclose their executive pays or bonuses. They don't have to disclose their debt structure. But how can somebody get $2.5 billion in loans if they got a negative credit rating? What are they paying here? And this isn't exactly a liquid market to go get a loan in. So there's some real issues here, and nobody's minding the shop, but we're all paying. So the issue with wind power, I, I like wind power to some degree, but I, my thought here, particularly in Alberta, is wind power will probably not be the dominant um, alternative energy. I really think that Alberta has the potential to develop geothermal uh, production of electricity, probably more so than most places in the world for two reasons. One is a topography allows for it. Two is we get the qualified labor here. We're just not doing anything with it. One other question. Do you think uh, with all that wind power that they're talking about that uh, it's going to drop the price of electricity? No. No, not at all. Matter of fact, when Greg Melchin was energy minister, he went to the uh, energy conference in Banff, and he complained to the industry that people were still trying to manipulate the prices. Um, the fact that we're oversaturated now and we pay the rates that we pay should be the first clue that something's wrong here. Something's definitely wrong. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you very much. Uh, Clint Dunford. Um, how, do we, how do we get you back at the main table. Um, you know, we're all impressed by your knowledge here tonight, but I think even you have admitted that people might not be listening. And I'm familiar with this from my government days of people that uh, talked a lot in caucus. Pretty soon we, we stopped listening to them. So uh, I know that you're 
five years later, you're much more knowledgeable, but you're much deeper into this thing than you ever thought you would be when you first started. So how does a guy like me take you to Mars and bring you back and say, okay, let's, let's start again here? Is that possible, or do you even want to be heard by the main table? Well, I definitely want to be heard by the main table. I can honestly tell you that. Um, I'm not sure the answer because I think what's going on here is you, you hear that old saying about power corrupts and it can corrupt absolutely. And I, I think we got a problem with our current government. I think they've lost sight that they're unable to admit what I call the moral truth, which is forget ideology, forget you know politics. It's about saying, I'm going to look at the data objectively, and even though I, I got a bias, the data doesn't confirm my bias. I, I've, got to, I've got to start asking some serious questions. I've met with Richard Mars. Um, I've met with Mel Knight, and I've got to tell you, it was the rudest meeting I've ever been in. Um, he turned his back to me, and I didn't stop talking anyways. I just gave my little presentation. It was a little bit different, quite a bit different than this. It had to do with what transpired around the, the hearings when we, we began to lose focus. And since then, I, I cannot get an audience. But what I do hope to do, particularly on this tour, I've asked people to send out invitations to MLAs and to come out. The whole idea is to show them something they have not seen so they can ask questions in caucus. Because until people get to that point that they can ask these questions, we'll never get to the point where these people can admit the truth. Um, and, and as I started my talk tonight, this isn't about transmission. This is a much broader issue. This really is about democratic principles. This is about democracy in action. Because to argue this and to deal with this, from an MLA perspective, you have to rely on technical data, which means you have to bring in experts and say, okay, tell me what you see as an expert and evaluate this. And this, you don't have to be an expert yourself in the field. You can listen to these people with a little bit of effort. You can come to an informed decision by asking some of these experts some hard questions. That's the whole idea of the board process. That's the whole idea of having an objective board is so the experts from all sides can come in, and if you have a mandate that says, okay, we're going to look after the public interest, and that's how we're going to make this decision, then it's not a tough decision to make. But what we've done here is we've removed the public interest, and we've got to correct that. We've got to put back in the legislation that these decisions are based upon the public's need. Industry will take care of themselves, and they can advocate for themselves quite well, but the public needs government to advocate for the public and balance the playing field. Nobody's against industry. But I will tell you this, some of the things I've seen just drive me crazy. For the billions and billions of dollars we're talking about spending, we got people out there saying this is going to create jobs. It's like, well, I got a method we can save over $15 billion. Let's just give everybody $10 million and tell them to go home. Because you're, going to, you're only going to employ a couple of cement contractors, some laborers. Your first-class linemen are already employed. You're not giving them additional work. 
And they'll build these lines in, in short order. I mean, once they're, they map them out, you're talking three, four months, and they're up and running. And the number of people involved are quite small. So for the money spent that we're paying, that's money spent that can be better spent elsewhere in some sort of public project versus transmission lines. So I don't have a real solid answer how to get in back into the mainstream. Um, Danielle Smith was going to come here tonight, and I, I invited her, and she called me up because of her successes. She um, got busy with reporters. And I said, well, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Come, you know, come to my next meeting. But I'm hoping to get more and more politicians out. And I, I just wish I had the answer, but I don't. Hi, uh, hi Joe. Uh, now, I remember you as a member of the Green Party, and uh, you weren't successful in getting into the, uh, the legislature. Um, do you think our um, opposition parties are actually doing enough in dealing with this matter? I have heard very little from the opposition parties, and I guess I'm wondering why. Is it just that they don't have access to the the data you have access to, or, or, or do you forward it on to them? Because uh, that's a real concern of mine, that, uh, that the opposition parties uh, uh, simply are uh, not being heard for whatever reason. I wonder if you have any comment on that. The, the opposition is doing what they probably can do. They're so small in number. I don't fault them. I think you have to be sick to do the things that I'm doing. Nobody digs as deep. Um, to be perfectly honest, they made me mad when I caught them tapping my phones. And I haven't given up, and I won't give up. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. I'm Irish. You know, and that's, uh, that's a bad thing to, to make an Irishman mad because I dug my heels in, and I won't go away. Because I think I'm, I think I'm right morally on this. But I'm really disappointed in the opposition. I'm disappointed with the Green Party. When I got voted uh, as leader of the Green Party, I wish I'd known what I knew now. I wouldn't have done it. The CFO ran away with the books and killed the party. It's like rats. Didn't need that in my life. But with the liberals and the NDP, trying to get the opposition to work together is awful. Um, you know, and I like, you know, when you meet these individuals, as they're good people. I've, there's some PCMLAs. You know, I have a disagreement with a few, but I got asked recently if I would debate one of them. I said, no, I don't want to debate that guy. I want to work with him. I, I don't want to, you know, embarrass anyone in front of the, in front of the public that I want to work with. Um, because I did that in Bill 19 with, with um, the Minister of Infrastructure, and it was embarrassing. And, you know, when I got done, I, I thought, that's not, that's not a very tactful way to get things done. So trying to get people to focus and work, we got a problem in this province. There's, there's a lot of value to having a strong opposition in democracy. We don't have a strong opposition. And I don't care what government you have. You need a strong opposition to make democratic principles work. And we don't have that. Um, having absolute power is not a good thing. It's scary. Thanks very much for your 
really enlightening presentation. And just to follow up with um, what uh, Ian was saying, my name is Rena Wass, by the way. Um, when opposition parties don't even get the feeling that they're heard by our government, uh, groups like, I'm part of a group called Green Sense, how does, how do, you know, the frustration for us is, how do we get hurt? We are the people of Alberta. We've got concerns about the environment and issues like what you were talking about tonight. And, you know, we're, we're making an effort October 27th. There's about 14 communities going up to the legislature. And what we're petitioning our government is one thing, open the door to green renewable energy and set up an expert panel um, so that we can have a feasibility study. Um, there was a panel put together a while back, $250,000 or more was spent for a nuclear study. Well, we're saying let's have a similar study but for green renewables. And yet we met with Greg Wiedek this afternoon and what Mal Knight is saying is, oh, green renewables have already been taken care of. The government supports green renewables, but they're missing the point. And so I just said, Greg, you're going to get tuned out. You know, there's stuff he doesn't even know that's going on behind closed doors. And when I hear about bills being rammed through at 3.30 in the morning, you know, this is alarming. This undermines our democratic system. So what do ordinary people do if opposition parties don't even stand a chance? Well, first off, opposition parties do stand a chance. Um, there's, a, there's a feedback going on there, too. Okay. Okay, that, that's, that's working. Leave that off for a second. I'm an eternal optimist. And the problem we're having right now is expressed right in this room. We're looking at blaming the government. It's not the government's fault. It's not your MLA's fault. Right here, right there. This is our government. We are the people. We are the people who have chosen in this experiment we call democracy that we will, who will be governed will govern ourselves. And we have to start standing up and stop thinking in terms of, I've always voted this direction, regardless of who the person is. What we have to be able to do is say, I'm going to hold these people accountable. Enough's enough. They report to me, not to the lobbyist, not to the industry. We've got to start thinking about protecting our own democracy and making it work. It will work. But nobody's responsible for this except us. And we've got to start making it work. Joe, I think maybe I might be the final question. Do you see any cracks in the in the hierarchy at, in Edmonton in terms of Bill 50? I do, I do. Um, there's cracks in the industry, but you got to be careful because industry is doing a great job of looking at their own after their own financial needs. Just because ours may align with one of them doesn't mean that they're looking after us. Um, but the fact is. I think what's happened recently, and I, I'm going to say in the last three years, people have started to wake up a little bit. You know, it's always about the economy. But what's happening here is we have a government that's not listening, 
And if they continue to do so, they will not correct the problem that they're having. This is one of the issues. Healthcare is another issue. There are other issues. It's, it's serious. And there are people that are saying, I want to be heard. And it's really interesting because if you were to come to a LaVesta meeting, we let people say, speak their minds. You go to these public forums, you get one question, you might get a panel that gives you an answer, and you never get a rebuttal. We let people speak their minds. Some of these meetings go on forever. But people want to be heard. They need a venue to be heard. I'm not saying you let everyone just speak all day long to one MLA. But it's not hard for an MLA to come out and hear what's going on. It's not impossible for this government to hear what's going on. If they choose not to listen, then it's my responsibility to choose not to vote for them. And that's really what it amounts to. We probably have uh, time for one more question. Just yell it out. That's better. Okay. Uh, I'm Wayne Van Giese. I'm a farmer in southern Alberta. I, uh, I have problems with the uh, issues with the metal line that's crossing straight to our fields. Um, but before you go home, then I want you to uh, think things over. We found out that, of course, we don't have any mineral rights. Uh, because that's for the crown, which is to be understood. But now we found out if that Bill 50 is going to pass, we don't have any surface rights either. So basically, we are, and that is maybe your money, because we, borrower, we are borrowers, you guys are probably putting it in. Anyway, we are risk takers. So basically, the banks are exposing themselves, and they don't have anything that basically can underlay the loans that we take. So if you realize that we don't have any say on the land, then it's a very uh, strange uh, situation. Because now, I have no issue by, by giving a new, um, uh, new initiatives the, 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 the go-ahead. The only thing with that, what the problem is, it's a private enterprise, the Madeline, for the private enterprise. We farm, we started there in 20, uh, 23 years ago, and uh, be, became an, an, a decent-sized farm. Uh, to be uh, put in perspective, our payroll is up to $850,000. So it is not a small farm by any means, but what it is, it's a farm that is very intensive. We employ people. Now, what's going to happen is we have no say in the crossing of the land. We were never... Um, being invited to the table, is this a good place uh, to put this line? This line came in, in place because they said this is the route. The route was not even debated. Uh, we went to the courts, and I think those courts can be bought. If you have money, you can buy a court. That's very simple if you have an, uh, a drunken driving. I mean, basically, the lawyer tells you, very simple, in this country, how much you want to spend. And I can tell you what you're going to get. So, I have dual citizen. I'm Canadian. I'm still Dutch. I came to this country with expectations, and those expectations were very much met. 
I'm very happy to be here. The only thing is what strikes me now is that this government is going to a point where communism is actually a small issue because this is worse than communism. We are in a free country where we can never express ourselves because if we express ourselves, we, they don't listen. And this means to us as consumers that if, for instance, if you live in town and there is a person with a lot of money living beside you and he says there is a bylaw in place and he says the fence could be uh, built two meters high. But he says, I want to build my garage there because I have sports cars and I want to put them in. So I am going to apply for a new garage, very tall, three meters tall, right on your borderline. If you go to the authorities and you have the right connections, you can buy your rights. I have issues uh, with a lot of those things. Uh, one of the issues is, for instance, that... Even in those meetings, you do not see anything from the press. As far as I'm aware, there's nobody here from the press. This is something that is, for me, mind-boggling. We all want to be heard. We want to voice our concerns. But what we can do, we cannot even get the press interested. This should be an issue that is the soul of this nation. Export is a good thing. I believe in progressiveness. And I am not against any of that. If they want to go for export, I am even willing to accomplish things with them. They had free access to go over my farm if they would go underground. What did they say? Do, do you have a question? Uh, there was a comment. Okay. okay. But, I mean, I'll, I'll make it short now. Okay. The issue here is why are we as Canadians so tame? Why don't we stand up and tell the government what has to be done? We vote in MLAs. And those MLAs, they do the job for the time being, and there is some decent MLAs, and Mr. Dunford was a good one, as far as I'm concerned. No, but anyway, there is, there is a lot of things to be involved. If you cannot voice your, uh, your concern in the, in the legislature, you get booted. I mean, if you, if you take a position that's against the policies, that's what I'm trying to say. This, this government comes to the point that they don't listen to the government, to the, to the people, but the people do not voice their concern to the government, and we should stand up for things. Okay. I, I want to comment on some of the things you said, because um, I don't believe in everything you say. I know where it's coming from, but judges are human beings. They have biases. Are there corrupt judges? Yeah, they're out there. And when they make the news, we point them out. But as a whole, I believe in our legal system. I was a cop. I was a cop for three years. And I will tell you, um, I've never met a judge that could be bought off. I know there, there, there are judges out there. There are bad lawyers out there, but there are good lawyers out there. There are bad cops and there are good cops. But one thing that I found is right is right, and wrong is wrong. I've never once regretted standing up for what I thought was right. I've been criticized and I've been ridiculed, but I've never backed down. And I know one thing, when I speak up about something that I firmly believe is right, it seems to irritate those people who are wrong. A lot. And I never stop speaking up. And I know I'm an irritant to somebody like Mel Knight. Guess what? This thorn's poking right at his rear end again, right on this bill. And I'm going to keep poking, and I'm going to keep poking. I'm not out here spreading gossip or trying to undermine anything. 
I'm trying to get information out. And this is what I do. And what I'm saying here is we went to court. I raised money to go to court over that power line, and we won. We won. I went to court again. We've been to court three times. We've lost once. And even when we lost, the judge looked right at me, and she knew. And she said, your problem is political and not legislative. In other words, they can only rule on the law. That's really important. That's why people have to get involved in politics, because these are the people who make the law. And we hold judges. You know, one of the things I get frustrated with is the criticism thrown at judges. I don't buy that. Judges are compelled to make decisions based on the law that our MLAs write. It's pure and simple. And if they make a mistake, we can appeal that. The problem with our judicial system, it does take money. That's the hard part, and that's an unfair balance in our judicial system. And we've never addressed that as a government, so that's a different issue. But standing up because somebody won't listen, I say you don't give them the opportunity not to listen. Speak loud, speak clear, speak often. These MLAs love letters that compliment them. They do not like letters that criticize or are objectionable. But it is letters, it is telephone calls. They hear enough of it, they're, it's like a squeaky wheel. They want to get elected. If there's enough squeaky wheels out there, they will listen. So you've got to get somebody else to call that MLA. You've got to get somebody else. To, my MLA won't even come out and debate me. He's already made that clear to the local press. He won't debate. I've been shut off in the press. been shut off in Pinocchio News. I've been shut off in Red Deer. I've been turned back on. Now I'm shut off again. I'm shut off in Devon. I still send them my press releases. I send them my stories. I think it's wrong for them to shut me off. They should look at the context of what I'm writing, not the personality involved. Will I stop? Never. They will hear from me. They can tell me to take them off their mailing list. I'm sorry. Drop your business. I don't like you as a press anyways. But the fact is, as long as you're printing a newspaper, you will get my letter. Thank you very much. As long as you're an MLA, I don't care if you're my MLA, Mel Knight will get a copy of my letter. We just hope a bunch of us just wrote Ed Stelmack. We haven't heard back. It will not deter me. He will get another letter. They will hear from us. We're not here to harass, but we're here to be heard. And if we're not going to be heard, we're going to speak up even louder.